Hey, this is Keenan Clark. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of my podcast. I really do believe it is going to bless you and leave you better than it found you. And I wanted to ask if this ministry has blessed you at all, would you prayerfully consider becoming one of our ministry partners? Our overall ministry, not just the podcast, but our overall ministry would not be possible if it weren't for the generosity of people who believe in it. Would you prayerfully consider becoming one of our monthly ministry partners? If you'd like to partner with us financially, there is a link in the show notes. Just go down to the show notes, tap the link. You can give as little or as much as the spirit leads you to, but we are so thankful for your seed that you are sowing into this good ground. But hey, here's this episode of the podcast. Are you guys ready for the word? Sweet. I really hope you brought a Bible tonight because the scriptures may or may not be on the screen. Um, so you are going to need it. Again, like I said, we've been having some difficulties. But uh, tonight, I want us to go over to the very last chapter in the Gospel of Luke. Luke 24. Luke 24. We're going to read about 11, 10 or 11 verses of scripture here. Luke 24. Excuse me, 9. I just counted. 9. 9. Luke 24, starting at verse 13, we'll read nine verses of scripture. Uh, We're going to jump right into the story, but I will make some sense of it as we go along. Luke 24, verse 13 says this, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Jesus said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with with one another as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? And Jesus said to him, what things? And they said to Jesus, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. A lot of scripture but I believe that God wants to say something powerful over the next couple moments. If you're taking notes tonight, I'm gonna preach a message that is simply called this. Don't blow it off. Don't blow it off. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you now for the next couple moments that we are gonna share. These moments aren't just spent together, but they are spent with you in your word. And Lord, I'm asking that your word would come and do what only your word can do, and your, only your word has the authority to do, and that is change us, mold us, challenge us, encourage us, empathize with us. Make a way where there seems to be no way, God. Lord, I thank you for the heart in here and online that feels so far away from you. Lord, the heart that feels confused. Lord, the heart that is disappointed. I pray that you would meet them tonight. Lord, help them. Pull them out of the miry clay and set their feet upon a rock. Let them leave saying that it was good to be in the house of God. Lord, put me on like a glove and do what only you can do. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, come on. 
Put an amen on that. Have you ever had a problem and the way you handled the problem created more problems? Okay, thank you, Karis. Okay, I have had problems and the way I handled the problem ended up causing me more problems. Some of you are like, yo, I got 99 problems and all of them are me, all right? <laughs> I have created more problems on how I handled my problems. And uh, this, the moment I wanna take you to briefly um, was about seven years ago, going on eight years ago. Um, I had just started on staff here at Celebration Church. I've been on staff here for going on eight years, and we had just bought this facility, just bought this facility. And I need you to understand, this was not a church the entire time. This used to be uh, an Ashley furniture store, okay? Because so some of you are like, I am not holy enough to go into that place. It was a furniture store that we threw some chairs in, okay? <laughs> Built a stage, threw a camera up, all right? It, it, it's not that holy is what I'm trying to get you to say. You fit right in, you fit right in. I guarantee you worse things have been done in this building before our time. But we bought it, and um, so I, I'm on staff, and my, I was given the task of starting this young adult ministry. I, asked, I got asked the other day, um, did you start this young adult ministry, or did you like, get, get it handed to you? And I, I didn't realize not everybody understands we started this thing from scratch uh, back in 2015. It's crazy. It started as just a little small group, um, just a, a, a remnant of people who are still a part of our ministry today were a part of that small group back then. And uh, we outgrew living rooms, and then we ended up uh, coming into the building. We have quite literally met in every single room aside from the bathrooms, all right? We've met in every single space. We literally did it all. And finally, we're here in the main auditorium praying. God, all right? But I remember it wasn't just young adults that I was in charge of. I was also in charge of handling things with this project, right, with this building. And so we bought it, and it obviously needed to be renovated. So we began the renovation process. And I'm not very good at construction, but I'm really good at deconstruction, okay? I know how to do demo day. I know how to swing a sledgehammer. I know how to make sure something can never be used ever again, okay? So they put me to work. The grace of God is on my life for that. And I came in here and we're knocking stuff down. We're ripping sheetrock apart. We're doing all sorts of stuff. In fact, the very first Sunday we ever met in this building, there were visible studs in the walls behind you, okay? Literally, you walked in this room and you could see the studs in the walls. And we still had church. Don't tell the fire marshal, okay? But we still had church. So consequently, the building got extremely dirty, okay? Got extremely dirty. There is sheetrock dust everywhere. So Pastor Brandon came to me and he said, uh, Keenan, my young Padawan, come here. And I walked up to him and he said, I need you to get the sheetrock dust out of this carpet, okay? So I look at it and I'm like, this is a tall order. That sheetrock dust is embedded into this carpet. But I was like, okay, let's do this. So he leaves because we had our offices somewhere else. So I'm up here at the building by myself and I grab this little sad little vacuum and I begin to go to town on the, on the carpet, 20 years old, you know, just doing, doing my ministry, okay? And uh, I'm just going to town on this carpet and I am not getting anywhere, nowhere. This carpet looks just as dirty 
as it did before I started, okay? So I began to panic. Like, I'm like, this may cause me to lose my job. They're going to think I was doing nothing all day. What are you doing with the church money, Keenan? And so consequently, I began to panic a bit. So I began to think, honestly, I, I began to not think. And you're going to understand why I say that when I tell you what I did, okay? I honestly cannot vouch for why I decided this was a good idea. But I thought, this dust has to get out of this carpet. So I went in the closet here at the building and I found a, a leaf blower, okay? I found a leaf blower and I brought the leaf blower into the building and I looked at the carpet and I turned it on, all right? And all of a sudden I just began to blow that leaf blower at the carpet. And would you believe the carpet started looking incredible, like it was coming up, like it was doing it, all right? The carpet's looking great, and I'm sitting there with my head down, and I'm going, and for about 30 minutes, I'm fascinated with the fact that this is working, okay? <laughs> Pastor Brandon doesn't know what he's talking about. Leaf blowers are what you use, not vacuums. So I'm sitting there going, and then 30 minutes later, I look up, and there is a massive dust storm, in this building, okay? I thought like I reverted to the Old Testament. God was, you know, leading me with a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, okay? I didn't know what was going on, but I see there's this massive dust storm, and all of a sudden, Pastor Brandon comes in about five o'clock, and he's wondering, like, what in the world has happened? Because he walks in, he can barely breathe, right? He's choking. Um, there is dust in every nook cranny, pocket, corner, crevice, orifice of this building, okay? Anywhere dust can now be accumulated, there now is dust, all right? Literally for the next two years after that, some spaces in this church, you could put your hand against the wall, bring it away, and there would be a nice thin layer of sheetrock dust two years later. And I learned a valuable lesson that day, which I'm praying you learn tonight. Blowing things off, does not really deal with them. Yep. Blowing things off does not actually deal with what is there. You understand, like, yes, there didn't look like there was a massive pile of dust on the ground any longer, but now that dust was everywhere. And I came with a word of warning tonight. There are some of you, you are tempted to blow things off into the future, maybe right now you are tempted to blow things off into next year. And if I could just have a couple moments of reprieve, if I could just have a couple moments of silence, if I could just have a couple moments of still stillness, it will be worth the fact that in 2023, it is still waiting on me. Here is the problem. When you blow things off, it spreads. It spreads. Everything that was once clean has now been infected by what you blew off into tomorrow. And what I came tonight, I came with a word of warning for some people who are tempted to blow some things off. And I came with a simple message tonight. Don't blow it off. It's time to actually deal with the things that we are tempted to blow off into tomorrow. And honestly, can I be real? There's lots of things we're tempted to blow off into tomorrow. Lots of things we're tempted to blow off into next year. But as I began to pray over this, and as I began to ask God to give me somewhere specific to go for this message, I really felt God gave me this direction, that many of you tonight are tempted to blow the, the disappointment 
of 2022 off into 2023. I really felt like God told me there would be some people in here tonight who have been disappointed with how things have gone this year. You're disappointed with how things did or did not go, with where you are or where you are not. You're not happy with the year that you lived. Started off 2022 strong. This is going to be my year. New year, <laughs> new me, all right? It's everybody's New Year's caption, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden, you look up, 12 months have gone by, and it's the same you. In fact, you would probably, I, I really feel this strong. There are some of you who you would even kill to have the you you were back then here today because things have atrophied. Things have diminished. Maybe your relationship with God is not nearly as strong as it used to be. And you thought, this is the year God and I go to new levels. This is the year we get deeper. This is the year I grow. And all of a sudden, you're looking back in retrospect because hindsight is 2020. And you go, man, I'd kill to have that relationship with God. I wasn't satisfied with that, but I would love to have that relationship with God again. Maybe things have fallen off. You are disappointed with how life has gone so far. And tonight, I really felt like the Lord says this, it's time to deal with the disappointment. We can't continue to blow the disappointment off. And I really feel led to talk to some people who specifically are disappointed with the events that have transpired over the last year. Because I, I'm here to tell you, tonight in Luke 24, we have two guys who can, who, who can without a doubt empathize with you. In Luke 24, the last chapter of Luke, we find these two gentlemen, and they are walking a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus. And what they're doing is they are heading home. Now, that doesn't seem like such a big deal. That doesn't seem like things are wrong. Doesn't seem nefarious to head home. Many of you, after, during the break, are going to head home, but let me tell you why they are heading home. They are heading home because the reason they went to Jerusalem in the first place disappointed them. They went to Jerusalem because Jesus was doing miracles. Jesus was opening blind eyes. Jesus was opening deaf ears. He was loosing mute tongues. He would walk by. In fact, go read it. It's in the Gospel of Luke. There's one point where there's a literal funeral procession happening for a young man, and Jesus walks by the casket and yanks the young man out of there and reunites him with his mom. There's crazy stuff happening. So naturally, they want to go to Jerusalem to see what this is all about. And these two guys, over the last several years, if not months, have gone full in on Jesus. They're Jesus' disciples. Now listen, they are not some of the dynamic 12 that we know of that Jesus had. They're not Peter, James, and John, but they were Jesus' disciples nonetheless. All of their eggs were in Jesus' basket. All their hope was in Jesus. And then all of a sudden, they go to Jerusalem. One day, the crowds are welcoming Jesus in, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And that same, listen to me, that same crowd that welcomed Jesus in a few days later yelled, crucify him. That's what they did. The same people that welcomed him in laid, laid palm branches down, laid their coats down for a colt, a donkey to walk across. A couple days later, screamed, crucify him. Everything has turned on its head. It, didn't, it looked like this triumphant entry, and it led to this catastrophe. 
They go into Jerusalem thinking Jesus is going to turn the whole thing on its head. And then all of a sudden, they literally get there. And listen to me. They watch their literal dreams get literally ripped to pieces before their eyes. Jesus is sent to a whipping post and they watch at a distance where his flesh is filleted wide open. Where the Bible says this, onlookers could not tell if they were looking at an animal or a man. They could not tell the difference. Jesus was beaten beyond recognition and these two men had to watch it. Later, they nail him to a cross, and then shortly thereafter, they shove him in a tomb to to roll the stone in front of it to try to forget that this freak named Jesus ever walked their streets. And now these two men walk the seven-mile journey to Emmaus, utterly disappointed. This was not how I thought this was going to go. This was not how it was supposed to end up. So all of a sudden, they're walking And the Bible says this, this all took place on the third day. You don't got to be a Bible scholar to know what happened on the third day. Jesus rose again, okay? He popped out that grave. But these two men, listen to me, don't know that. They don't know the gospel story. They didn't grow up in church. They didn't grow up in San Angelo, Texas in the buckle of the Bible belt. They don't know what the third day represents. For them, it still represents devastation. For them, it still represents disaster. For them, it still represents disappointment. And they're walking, and the Bible says this, that all of a sudden, Jesus walks up next to them. But somehow, miraculously, they are kept from knowing that it's Jesus. Now, I don't know what happened. I don't know if Jesus had, you know, those glasses that have the nose attached and the mustache on the bottom of it. Like, I don't know how... They didn't realize that it was Jesus. You know, I don't know if it was like Jesus' face was like, was like pixelated, okay? Like he's in witness protection or something. Okay, somehow they were kept from knowing it was Jesus. The Lord shielded their eyes. And so all of a sudden Jesus walks up and he asks them a question. He says, what are you guys talking about? And they say, we're talking about everything that just took place in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, what took place? And they go, excuse me? You don't know? You must be the only person in the country who doesn't know what just took place. They murdered a man named Jesus Christ. We, everyone swore up and down that he was the one to be, that he was the Messiah. He was mighty in front of, in, in deed and word, in front of God and man. He, was, he, was, he had the it factor. And then they say this, but we had thought he was the one who was supposed to save Israel. We had thought he was going to be the king. We had thought he was the Messiah, but I guess not. And all of a sudden, the Bible says this, they let Jesus into their disappointment. And can I just give you just my take on this? The Bible does not say why Jesus shielded his face from him. The Bible doesn't say. So we just have to speculate, and I'm about to speculate as to why. This is not Bible, this is just Kenan. I think Jesus kept them from seeing his face Because had they been able to see his face, they would have never let him into their disappointment. Because I do that all the time. I'll let you into my disappointment, but I may not get honest with God about my disappointment. God, I don't want to bother you. God, it feels like like I'm not speaking in faith if I were to be honest about where I'm at. So I guess I better quote scripture. I guess I better, you know, put on a happy-go-lucky smile. I I guess I better get on down the spiritual yellow brick road and find the silver lining for this thing. I'll figure it out from here, God. 
I think Jesus shielded his face for their sake so that they would actually be honest with him about where they were. So all of a sudden they divulge. They're in this big pit, in the pit of despair, in the pit of disappointment. And Jesus says this, let's read it. Luke 24, verse 13. Actually, excuse me, Luke 24, verse 25. It says this. And Jesus said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all, listen to this, all that the prophets have spoken. All that the prophets already said. Here he goes on to say this. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Listen to this. I'll keep reading. I know it's not on the screen, but just trust me. This is Bible. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. They let Jesus into their disappointment. And notice what Jesus says. Did you forget what was already said? Wait, 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 hold on. You're disappointed this happened? You didn't know? Wait, I I see that book you got there. You must not have read it. Because that already told you that this was going to take place. Notice, they let Jesus into their disappointment of the fact that things have not gone the way they thought they were supposed to go. And Jesus has to kindly remind them, God is not committed to the way you thought it would go. He is committed to the way he said it would go. And I just came here to encourage somebody and warn somebody at the same time. You are setting yourself up for disappointment when you begin to build your train of thought on how you think it ought to go rather than how God said it would go. You've got to build your life on what God said. You have no idea how many of my friends, how many Christians I know who were in it at one point and then things didn't go the way they thought it would go. I thought God would have done this by now. I thought God would have healed them. I thought God would have opened that door. I thought God would have delivered me from this by now. And they walk away because it hasn't gone the way they thought it would go. And God is not obligated to your thoughts. He is obligated to his word. That's what he's obligated to. And I just came here to provoke somebody tonight. Let's not just be those little one or two verse that we have memorized Christians. Let's actually get in the scriptures and start building our lives brick by brick, stone by stone, from the foundation up on what the word of God has already said about us. You're setting yourself up for disappointment when you build your, when you build your life on anything other than what God has already said. Jesus is like, you have no reason to be disappointed. The Bible, the, the Bible that they had at the time, okay, the scriptures, the Torah that they had started with, them, started with Moses and then went into the prophets. All of the Bible that they had at the time told them this would happen. But they got wrapped up in what they thought. They're literally caught in their fields rather than standing on their faith. And that's where many of you are at tonight. You are disappointed because life has not gone the way you thought. And I came to encourage somebody, it is not too late. It is not too late to begin to build on what God has already said. I know this is new territory for you. I know this is unfamiliar. I know this sounds like a holier than thou thing, that people holier than me can do that. I can't do it. You know where I've been. You know what I've done. You know who I did it with. 
Not me. Yes, you. It is not too late. The Bible says this, that the mercies of God are new every morning. It doesn't mean you literally need to go to sleep and then you have new mercies. It just means that it's constant. It's unending. It doesn't change. Every moment, every breath is a new start to begin to carve a new path and walk in faith. And it's time that we begin to encourage a generation. It is not too late for you to build on what you were meant to build on all along. You're not exempt. You're not disqualified. God says, build on what I've said. Build on my word. Because notice this. Jesus takes them to the word and notice what happens. All of a sudden they say this. Jesus He sits with them, he eats with them, and all of a sudden they realize that it's Jesus who's been with them all along. And all of a sudden their eyes are open to the fact that Jesus is there. And when they they are open to the fact that it's Jesus who's been sitting there, he vanishes out of thin air, like literally disappears. And they say this, Luke 24, verse 32 through 33, excuse me, just verse 32. They said to each other, listen, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us. Notice this, notice this, don't miss this. One moment ago, their hearts were disappointed. And now all of a sudden they're saying, didn't our hearts just burn? Was your heart burning? Mine was. I know a moment ago we were talking about how disappointed we were, but there was something, something came over me. Something possessed me. Something changed me. When he began to open that Bible, when he began to open that scroll, when he began to take us back on what God said, my disappointed heart began to burn. All of a sudden things began to change. And listen to me tonight. If you came in here with a disappointed heart, it is not too late for that heart to begin to burn. And what made it burn? When they got in the word, some of you, you want nice cliche thoughts. You want nice put together sermons and illustrations. You want me to use alliterations and make everything start with the letter P. That's not what's going to set you free. It's when you actually begin to open the Bible and read it for yourself, not just the Jeremiah 29, 11 and the John 3, 16, even though those are powerful, but when you begin to darken the doorstep of scriptures you've never heard preached, of scriptures you've never highlighted, of scriptures you didn't even know were in there, all of a sudden your heart that was once disappointed will begin to burn because the word of God is a light. The word of God illuminates The word of God is a roaring fire. And I came here to tell somebody tonight who feels stale, who feels burnt out, get back in the word. Get back in the word. I promise you, you will begin to burn. I promise you, you will begin to fan into flame what God put there to begin with. They started off disappointed and they went back burning. God wants you to burn. And he doesn't want you to burn for just a season. Anybody can burn for just a season. God wants you to burn for a lifetime. And it's possible. I'm not saying as I've preached the last two weeks before this that you're not going to go through a wilderness. We all go through wildernesses. We all go through dry seasons. We all go through pits. We all go through trials. We all have tribulation. But it doesn't mean you can't burn through it. You can burn in the midst of everything that is trying to burn you. And some of you maybe tonight, 
that's not your story. Maybe your story is not that you are disappointed with how things have gone. Maybe you're not disappointed with this year. Maybe this year was overtly good for the most part. You're not disappointed with how things have gone, but maybe you would find yourself disappointed with how things are. Maybe it's not what used to be. Maybe it's the way it actually is right this second, real time. You are struggling with a deep, sinister, maybe even spiritually life-threatening disappointment. I began to think about this, people who might be disappointed in this very moment with what is going on in this very moment. And the Lord instantly took me to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 4 you have to understand, 1 Kings is all about one prophet. His name is Elijah. 2 Kings is all about his young son in the faith, Elisha. Okay? We are going to go to 2 Kings. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, we find this one story, but let me set the scene for you. In 2 Kings 4, we found Elisha who just helped a widow recover everything that she lost because she had a little pot of oil. I preached on this recently called We've Got a Shortage. You can check it out on YouTube. That's 2 Kings 4. Then you darken the doorstep of 2 Kings chapter 5. And Elisha helps a man by the name of Naaman get healed from his leprosy. Then we darken the doorstep of 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha sitting there and he has his servant, his guy who's his traveling companion. He's got him with him and they're hanging out in this tent and they go to sleep. The servant's name is Gehazi. And they go to sleep and all of a sudden Gehazi wakes up in the morning before Elisha and he goes and he opens the tent. He goes and opens the door of the tent and he looks outside and there's the Syrian army enveloping them. Now, just newsflash, Syrians, bad guys, okay? This is not like help is on the way. This is not good to wake up to. He wakes up and they are surrounded. It's just him and Elisha. And they are surrounded by the entire Syrian army. They brought their war horses. They brought their chariots. I mean, Syria brought out the big guns to this meeting. And they have them enveloped. And Gehazi opens the tent. And all he sees for miles is the Syrian army. So he shuts the curtains real quick. And he runs over and he wakes up the man of God. He's like, man of God, wake up. <laughs> All right, now is not time to sleep. All right, he shakes, he shakes Elisha and Elisha pops open. And, and, and Gehazi says, the entire Syrian army is outside. We're dead. And then Elisha has the guts to stare Gehazi in the face. Gehazi just said, we're about to die, dude. We are about to and Elisha says this, Elisha says this, he says, why are you afraid? There's more on our side than there are on theirs. There are more on our side than there are on theirs. I can just imagine Gehazi's like, okay, the entire Syrian army, it's probably hundreds if not thousands of people, and our side, okay, one, two, we're done. There's more on our side than there is on theirs? And all of a sudden, Elisha can see that Gehazi is having a hard time with the math here, right? He's having a hard time quantifying what this guy is saying. So he does this. Rather than trying to explain everything to Gehazi, notice what he does. This is so powerful. He prays for Gehazi. And if we could throw it on the screen, 
it would say this. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 16 through 17. Elisha says, don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed. Listen to this prayer. Oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. Then the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and I'll finish telling you the story. All of a sudden, Gehazi's eyes, his spiritual eyes are opened, and he looks back outside of the tent, and the Syrian army is still there. But as he looks past the Syrian army, all of a sudden, he looks up to the mountain ridge, and there are thousands of angel war horses and chariots on the mountain ridge. The thing that surrounded Gehazi and Elisha was surrounded itself by the Lord. This is where we get songs like Upper Room gave us, which I'm so thankful for. The song Surrounded, they say this, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. You have to understand tonight that if you could see with your spiritual eyes, you understand we're weird around here. We're not just people who found a book full of positive thoughts and we just have this new way of looking at life and it's this this new little niche thing that we have going on here. We believe in a whole nother realm. We We believe in a realm that is beyond the realm of everything we can see, taste, touch, and smell. Everything that we can see with our five senses, there's something greater than that, and it's called the spirit. And if all of a sudden you could begin to see with spiritual eyes, you would see that what is surrounding you is surrounded itself by God. That's what Gehazi got to witness that day, that what is surrounding me, God has it surrounded, that the things that are seeming to go chaotic here on earth, they are surrounded by our God. Amen. You understand the Bible says this, that as the, as the waters cover the sea, the spirit of the, the Lord covers the earth. The Bible says that the entire earth belongs to God in the fullness thereof. The Bible also says this, that that heaven is God's throne and the earth is his footstool. Literally, the earth is God's ottoman. The earth is where God props his feet up when he gets ready to take his afternoon nap. The thing, the planet in which we are running around crazy, God is at rest over. So why aren't you? He's on your side. As Mr. Beaver said, he's not a tame lion, but he's good. He's good. Narnia, thank you. I let my nerd side out for just a second. I'm getting some hand claps. He's not tame, but he's good. What I'm trying to get you to see is God's not tame, but you're lucky he's on your side. The thing that is surrounding you is itself surrounded by God. And here's what I I wanted to show you. Gehazi couldn't see it. Listen to me. Gehazi couldn't see it until he let someone into his disappointment and they prayed for him. That was the secret. The help was there all along. But Gehazi couldn't benefit from it until he called someone into what was disappointing, until he called someone, somebody in to what was daunting, until he called somebody into what had him afraid and they began to pray for him. They didn't preach to him. Elisha didn't preach. He said, God, open his eyes. And I want to ask you tonight, have you let anyone in to your disappointment? And the people you're letting in, are they people of prayer? Are the people you're running to people that are praying for you? Or are they people that just remind you of how much of a victim you are? 
are they people that further the fear. They instill the fear. They take a screwdriver and they strip the screws, driving the, nail, the screws of fear into you to make sure you can never get them out. Are they those people? Or are they people who are taking time to get on their knees before God and go before him on your behalf? Do you have people praying for you? That's what changes things. Notice it's been the word in Luke 24. And now it's prayer, people of prayer in 2 Kings chapter 6. You want to deal with your disappointment? What I'm trying to get you to see is you got to go back to the basics. We think the word and prayer. If I came in here with guns blazing, talking about, hey, my first point is about the word and my second point is about prayer, all of you would have tuned me out. You'd be like, okay, I've heard, every, I've heard this already. But then I sneak attack you. And I go through the stories, and then you see, wait a second, what changed their, their, what changed their perspective was the word of God. And what changed Gehazi's perspective was somebody praying for him. These things aren't old hat is what I'm trying to get you to see. And when you deal with one of the basic, whoo, one of the basic trip hazards of the enemy, you got to go to the basics of God's arsenal, and it's the word, and it is prayer. You got to get in this book, and you got to let people start praying for you. But you got to first have the courage to even let them into the disappointment. You got to first have the courage to even admit that, hey, I don't have it all together. And you know when it becomes the hardest to let people in, the better at this Christian game you get. The deeper you go in with God, the more people that see you as a leader. You know, you know how hard it is sometimes for me to ask for prayer? Why? Because everyone expects me to pray for them. I've got to be on. I've got to have all my T's crossed, all my I's dotted. I can't have a bad day because you're always having a bad day. I got to be there for you. But eventually I got to remind myself that way before I was called to preach and way before I was called to pastor, I was called to follow Jesus. And right now me following Jesus needs prayer. And I got to get over my pride and I got to let somebody in and say, hey, I know I'm the guy that usually prays for people. I know I'm the guy that encourages everybody else to go get prayer. But right now I've got to humble myself and come for prayer. It's pride that is keeping you away from the answer is what I'm trying to get you to see. An absence of prayer is always the presence of pride. It always is because we believe somewhere deep down, even if it's in our subconscious, that we can still handle it. It's not bad enough yet. I could still figure it out. I could still find a way out. If I could just work a little harder, stay up a little later, burn the candle at both ends, read two more scriptures, tithe a little extra, then it'll be okay. And the Lord says, I didn't ask you to do any of that. I asked you to let somebody in. You need people of prayer in your life and you need the word in your life. And here's where I want to land the plane. If I could have somebody come and play behind me quietly. What happens when the prayer gets answered? I think we hear a lot of sermons about how do you respond to unanswered prayers? You know how many sermons I've heard on that? How do you respond when God's answer is no? That's a great sermon, by the way. I think that's something we all need to hear, but I think we hear it enough. I want to ask you, how do you respond when you pray and God's answer is yes? How do you, how do you respond when you ask God to bless you and he blesses you? How do you pray? How do you, how do you live when you ask God to give you a spouse, when you ask God to give you the relationship and he does it? 
Because here's the truth. Here's what I have found. Life doesn't end after the prayer gets answered. Life goes on. How do you handle answered prayers? What do you do when somebody prays for you and the disappointment goes away? How do you handle God answering your prayer to help you in your disappointment? Because I'm here to tell you tonight, how you handle your answered prayers can set you up for more disappointment in the future. If you inappropriately handle God answering your prayer, it will set you up for disappointment. Some of you know exactly what this looks like. You've prayed for provision. You've prayed for financial help and God meets the need. God gets the money to you miraculously, but how you handled the answered prayer because you inappropriately used the provision, you're now back in a place of disappointment. Some of you know what it's like. You pray for a relationship. You pray for the relationship and God gives it to you and you mistreat them. You take them for granted. You inappropriately handle the very thing, the fruition of your prayer. And it leads you to disappointment. How do you steward your answered prayers? This reminds me of Matthew 14. Matthew 14 is a famous passage of scripture. Famous for all the right reasons. And I've preached Matthew 14 so many times. I've heard it preached a million times. But it wasn't until this year that I saw this thread. The Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, he ambushed me with this one, man. I was sitting there listening to my Bible one day and all of a sudden, hits me like I've never felt it before. Matthew 14 the disciples are in a boat and all of a sudden a storm rolls in and the storm's threatening the boat. They're thinking they're going to die. And then all of a sudden out in the distance, Jesus comes walking on the water. Jesus is walking to him. At first they think it's a ghost and then somebody puts two brain cells together and realizes it's Jesus. And in this moment, I began to think about my understanding of this passage and I could have sworn, I could have sworn in this moment, Jesus gave Peter the idea to walk on the water. I could have sworn it was Jesus's idea for Peter to walk on water. Then I read it again and I realized it wasn't Jesus's idea. After all, it was in fact Peter's idea. Peter in Matthew 14 pipes up and he says, Jesus, if it's really you, bid me to come on the water. Let me come to you on the water. What is this? It's Peter's prayer request. What do you call it when you talk to Jesus? Prayer. prayer. Peter is asking the Lord a question. We call that prayer. And he says, Jesus, if it's you, bid me to come on the water. And Jesus' simple response was this, come. Jesus, in a sense, says, I'll grant your request. It's yes, you've got it. I'll answer your prayer. And miraculously, Peter crawls over the edge of the boat and begins to walk on the water. And you know the story if you've read Matthew 14. All of a sudden, he begins to walk, but he gets distracted. And the next thing you know, he's sinking. And this is what the Holy Spirit hit me with. And I pray it touches you tonight. Holy Spirit told me this. He said, you know, Peter was really good at looking to Jesus when he was praying to walk on the water. He was really good at looking to Jesus when he was making the request, when he was, when he was, when he was releasing the prayer, 
When he was asking for it, he was really good at looking at Jesus when he was asking for it, but he took his eyes off Jesus once Jesus gave it to him. And how often is that true of you? How often is it true of me? That I'm really good at looking to Jesus when I'm asking him to meet my need. I'm really good at looking to Jesus when I'm asking him to to come into the disappointment. I'm really good at looking to Jesus when I'm asking him for the miracle. But what about when he does it? You know what we do? We do what Peter did. We blow him off. This is where it all comes full circle. We blow him off. Oh, okay, cool. Thanks, Jesus. I've I've, I've got it from here. And I understand it was fear that distracted Peter, but it's not about what distracted Peter. It's about that he got distracted. Don't get caught up in the minutia of what it was. It's that he got distracted at all. And here is what I felt the Lord wanted to tell you tonight. I'm going to answer your prayer. I'm going to come into the disappointment. I'm going to come in and I'm going, to, I'm going to help you like you've never been helped before. But what are you going to do once I do? Some of you, I really felt this strong. Beth and I were literally driving here tonight and I felt this. She was giving me some insight. She was reminding me of where everybody's at this time of year and I really needed to hear it. And the Lord reminded me, he told me to remind you. He said, some of you, you've been, your prayers have been answered this semester. You've gotten friends, you've gotten a community, you've had a deeper walk with God than you've ever had, but guess what? You're about to go back into a dark place. Some of you are going back to a hometown where people don't know you as a Christian. They know you as a partier, they know you as some animal, they know you as some object, and they're not going to remember who you are now, but it's your job to remember who you are now. That's what I feel the Lord saying. I answered your prayer this semester, now how are you gonna walk out the answered prayer? You're about to go right back into that vortex. You're about to go right back into the slime. You're about to go right back into the sludge. And I need you to remember me. Can you keep your eyes on me? When you're walking in the provision the same way you did when you were asking for it. Can you keep your eyes on me when there is no disappointment? Or am I only good when there's a trial? Am I only good when there's a tribulation? Am I only good when things are falling apart? I want to be the friend that sticks closer than a brother. I want to be the lover of your soul. I don't want to be your bail bondsman. I don't want to just be the person you call to get you out of the stuff you've gotten yourself in. I will do that over and over and over because of how much I love you. But I don't want to just walk through the valleys. I want to enjoy the mountaintop with you as well. I created it. And I didn't create it for you to sit there all alone. I created it for you and I. What do you do when God answers your prayer? What do you do when he says yes? And right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment of privacy and concentration... I feel like there are some people here tonight who maybe you are disappointed. You're disappointed with how life has gone. You're disappointed in yourself that you haven't done better. You're disappointed in some decisions that you made or some some of you are disappointed in decisions that have been made against you. And right now I just feel the presence of God saying, let me in. Let me in. Let me into that deep place. Let me into the disappointment. Let me into the confusion. Let me be for you what you're not. 
If that's you tonight, here in a moment, I'm gonna count to three and I want you to shoot your hand up. If you wanna say yes to Jesus for the first time, letting him into that disappointment, letting him into that dark place, or you wanna say yes again. Maybe you're like Peter. You've been in the boat, your prayers have been answered. You love Jesus, but you've simply, in the provision that God's given you, you've taken your eyes off the God who gave it to you. And tonight, if that's you, you wanna say, you know what, I'm coming back. Jesus, I need you. The good news is that though Peter took his eyes off Jesus, Jesus never took his eyes off Peter. God sees you right now. And he doesn't look at you with a scowl. He doesn't look at you with a disapproving countenance. He looks at you with love in his eyes, fire in his eyes, who's ready to pull you out of the miry clay and set your feet upon a rock. If that's you tonight, you're ready to say yes to Jesus. One, two, three. Raise your hand. I'm going I'm to pray for you tonight. Hands going up all over this auditorium. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for people letting you into their disappointment, letting you into their miry clay, letting you into their trouble. Lord, I thank you right now for every hand that is raised to heaven because that hand represents a heart, a, a dark place a space where the enemy reigned just a moment ago, but now you reign, God, because they've invited you in. Lord, I thank you that you flood that space. Lord, flood it with your, with your character. Flood it with love. Flood it with joy. Flood it with peace, God, with patience, Lord. Lord, flood it with light. Lord, I thank you that they're gonna feel you, they're gonna know you, and they're gonna begin to build their life, not in a place of feeling, not in a place of well, I think this ought to be the right direction, but Lord, I don't think you they're going to know the right direction because your word gives it so clear, so precise, so pointed, God. Lord, I thank you that there is no more doubt. I speak against the spirit of doubt. Since somebody right now, and you doubt, you have doubted chronically up until this moment whether or not you're even saved whether or not you're even gonna go to heaven when you die. Lord, I thank you. I cancel that right now. They've just put their faith in you. They are heaven ready right now. Not because of anything that they have done, but because of everything that you have done on their behalf. Lord, I thank you for a clean slate here and now. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen. Come on, can we put our hands together for what Jesus did tonight? Come on.